0: Guaranteed.
1: Yo, welcome to What's the Hype podcast. This is your boy, Jay Wade. And I'm Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. And this is What's the Hype? What's the Hype? It's helping young people excel. And it's also cutting through all of the hype, the glitz, the glamour that surrounds the sports industry and give tangible insight from our experience and our guests to help you get a better understanding of the business and all that comes with the sports industry. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice? Got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look, all my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice? Like this episode is brought to you by Impress Tax Services, a proud jumping jack tax partner, one of the fastest growing tax companies in the country. They can maximize your refund, offer you audit protection, provide virtual and mobile services. No more waiting in an office or chasing your tax professional down. Their goal is to get you a bigger refund without paying the excessive fees. They're on a mission to educate and provide their communities with financial literacy and to help build generational wealth. For more information and to book your free consultation, head over to www.inprestaxservices.com. That's com. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype podcast. I'm your host Jeff Pope, aka the Pod Disciple. I'm honored to have a special guest in the building, man—a guy who kind who supported the podcast, our podcast from the beginning. Um, great guy, great story. Want to go ahead and introduce him to the podcast, Jay Bowles. Welcome to the podcast. What's going on? Not much, man. Again, pleasure, man. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking some time out your day to jump on the podcast with me. Um, we want to just go ahead and just start from the beginning. Let's start. Um, where you from Talk about where you're from And what it was like Growing up there
0: uh, Originally I'm from Chicago Illinois um, It is It's a tough place to be But uh, for the most part uh, It's a beautiful city I tell most people um, It's underrated um, In my opinion I think we got one of the best You know Skylines Downtown areas mm. um, Growing up there as a kid I was Definitely Definitely rough um, The rough areas I grew up on the west side of Chicago um, Right next to um, A place called The Hole So it's Projects But um Central Park, 5th Avenue, um, it was tough, uh, long days, long nights, but for the most part, you know, once you're there long enough, you get to know everybody, and uh, we all just jail, so.
1: And I think that's just like most cases for most, you know, inner city environments, you know, once you, I mean, you're there, and you understand the environment, you know how to navigate it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about maybe just like family structure, what, you know, growing up, with mom, dad, brother, sister, kind of what was your family structure like?
0: Yeah. So, um, I grew up with um my mom. For the most part, until I reached the age, I think about ten, um, and then I actually went to stay with my father on Central Park Avenue. Um, my grandparents were still alive at the time. Um, my aunt, my uncle, uh, a lot of my cousins. So we had a uh, three flat, mm-hmm. and literally we was on the top floor. Uh, me and my parents, my older brother, with uh, well, me and my father, excuse me, my older brother, and then me um, on the first floor. It was my grandparents, <laughs> about two of my uncles. Uh, then in the basement, I have my auntie, my uncle, and they're three kids, four kids, three kids, yeah.
1: So for a guy or gal that's from Texas, Florida, mm-hmm. explain what a three flat is.
0: So it's basically, um, yeah, I don't know the terminology down here, but it's basically you got, um, it's two floors. Um, but then the base we have basements where I'm from. So um, the basement, we consider the third, like the third party mm-hmm. you know, in a sense, because it was structured as a house, so it wasn't like the basement where you stock, you know, uh, just your washing and dry or your know, things, construction things, things like that. It was actual place, a livable place.
1: Okay, so it almost put me in a mind frame of like what I can relate it to is like a brownstone in like Brooklyn. Or, Correct. Okay, gotcha. So that makes sense.
0: So it, it structures somewhat like a um, town.
1: Town. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. So man, you had the whole family, you know, you and and, and I think you know as an adult, especially someone who now lives away from their hometown. Yeah. Um, you look back on those moments and I mean, although it probably could have been chaotic at times, but just being able to, you know, go down to your aunt's house or your grandparents' house. If your mom's not home, somebody's there to, you know, those things that were, were um, you know, you know, unexplainable, yeah. you know, in the sense of just always having family around. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so no I, I i totally get that uh so so growing up in chicago and like you said you live with your mom for the first part moving in with your dad and his family talk about uh let's talk about your introduction to sports what was the what was your introduction to sport what sport and then you know how did how did that come about
0: yeah um i played baseball for a long mm. time uh, yeah i was a shortstop i played baseball um i played football i played pretty much everything um so, near my father's house, uh, we had this part district called Homer Square. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I was introduced to basketball, uh, for the most part. Um, that's why I actually played, um, baseball, football. Um, Garfield Park was across the street. They had a football team. Um, I played with my older brother. So, um, yeah, Homer Square, uh, that's where basketball began. And then eventually, um, through my elementary school, I ended up joining the team. Um, and I was stuck between baseball and basketball for a long time, uh, until I actually got more into basketball. And then we hit in, in the hole. That's what it's called. Um, we had a basketball court. It was only one court. So um, seeing a lot of people down there, you know, playing. You know, everybody from the project was playing. Went down there. Uh, it was pretty tough. But, uh, you know, it was very competitive. And that's where I really grew my grew my love for it, man. Um, just meeting good people out there. And then uh, being able to play with them on teams over the summer and things like that. So everybody was well connected around that area.
1: I feel like... Being from Chicago, eventually basketball was going to rise to the top. I mean, it just, if, you know, I don't, don't, again, I don't know, you know, I can attribute it to kind of during my era, you know, the Michael Jordan uh, impact of, you know, winning championships in Chicago. But I know it started way before that, you know, guys like Isaiah Thomas and Tim Hardaway, Nick Anderson, all those type of guys. So you talking about eventually how, the, the the environment kind of cultivates basketball. Yeah. I mean, I you know, kind of explain to us kind of how it is because being in the South, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have a basketball court on every yeah, corner, indeed, indeed. you know, uh, but you football could be played. So yeah. football in the South is, that's that cultivates here because you can play football at yeah. anywhere, yeah. you know, but kind of explain like how that just, it just breeds that type of um, basketball is just bred in Chicago and is it yeah. on every corner or just, you know,
0: yeah, it's pretty, um, it's, it's big, man. Um, we're big on football, not as big. Uh, second sport is wrestling, man. Really? Yeah, we got a lot of wrestlers up there in Chicago. Um, but as far as basketball, we have a lot of people that actually made it far using that basketball, um, like you mentioned, Isaiah Thomas, um, and they actually get back. Mm-hmm. So I think they play a big, big, big part in why so many Chicagoans actually come up in the first sport they think about is basketball. It's not just because, yeah, we have courts on every corner. Guaranteed, we also have gyms. Almost on every corner that you can just go in and you know have open gym. You know, um, me transitioning down to Houston, I would say you know you either got to pay to uh, you know go uh, go play basketball, and I think it deferred because it's so much to get into in Chicago, mm-hmm. to where they made it free for us. You know, just to keep us off the street, off the street, excuse me. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of people. Uh, Sonny Parker uh, was a good guy that actually at the same park district that I mentioned earlier, um, Homer Square. It gave back so they did like drill camps and things like that and it was attractable to the kids around the neighborhood um because that wasn't an opportunity that was an outlet for everyone you know uh, our parents probably couldn't afford it so the fact we had these stars Isaiah Thomas and them coming back um to actually just give us that type of outlet to actually enhance our game in some way whether it's just learning how to dribble learning how to properly shoot your form and things like that um, as kids we gravitated towards that and we looked up to those type of people
1: And I I say the same thing, too, about Miami because it's so many guys that come out and play football because it's so many guys that came back, right? So we're able to see what it is that we inspire to be. Mm -hmm. So when you have a guy like Chad Johnson, Mm -hmm. Andre Johnson, Santana, Sonoris Moss, all these different guys coming back, it's like it almost uh, put in your mind that, oh, I can do it too. And then they're coming back giving you the the drills and the Mm -hmm. camp and things like that. So I'll ask you is as you started to develop your game, Let's talk about somebody that maybe locally that you kind of looked up to that was almost like, a you know, a, a, a local uh, hero and then yeah. uh, that probably didn't make it out and then maybe a guy that, you know, that you came up with or some other guy that you looked up to that did make it out yeah. for you.
0: Yeah, well, um, I had a pretty good um, high school career um, mm-hmm. in Chicago. Um, I played with a lot of good people. That I'm going to start with the people that probably didn't. Make it to let's say the NBA. They made it out. Mm-hmm. Um, they it definitely. It's a lot of people from Chicago that actually go and play overseas. Um, some of those people was TB, then um, Tony Bennett, um, called him, well, another guy forty plus. Um, literally gonna give you forty plus. So uh, it's a nice, nice set. Sharon Collins. You know he played for Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like the second to D Rose in the city. Um, in some parts of the town, it was always South Side versus West Side because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Sh- Sharon Collins actually from out west. He played for uh, Collins high school um I got to see him and witness him play um D-Rose from out south you know mm-hmm. so they actually went head up you know a few times in um in the state championship and then uh it, it's been great uh just seeing a lot of people I actually played against um Anthony Davis in high school um just before he had a growth spurt definitely uh definitely before he even got a transfer um played against him um a lot of people don't know that uh and we actually won that game too oh really yeah we won so uh he's a good dude though man um but it's just a lot of people, even the people that probably didn't make it to um, overseas and thing like that. But one last person that did, um, Al Stewart, I played with him um, on a summer league team called the Dynasty. Um, and every summer, a guy named E.P., great friend of mine um, named Evan Pryor, he actually just he supported everything. Um, he paid for everything, every tournament we was ever in. Um, and Al Stewart was one from the same neighborhood as me that actually was uh, the one that made it out, and everybody looked up to him. He's a great point guard, um, Montrice McKnight. Same thing. Uh, he didn't play overseas, but phenomenal basketball player. Man, could have played. Um, he had an injury, um, but then he had a family, start growing a
1: family and everything. So, uh, it's a lot of good people, man. And I'm sure you can go on for days. Yeah. Um. And I, I have a buddy of mine that's from Chicago, and he talked about Anthony Davis too. He talked about him before he had that growth spurt. I yeah. guess he was playing like guard or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And just you know, obviously, overnight, yeah. you know. So, but I think you can see that displayed in his game how he how he's able to control control that ball um but uh when when did you realize basketball could possibly be an opportunity for you to to go to the next level uh high school high school
0: Oh yeah high school i think um my freshman year i was on a varsity um that was a sign in a sense um but then my sophomore year i became ranked in in chicago so i think that really was stamped you know i started receiving offers my sophomore year um and some of them were small schools you know juco college and things like that but You know, something like that that that's just so small is something big to me. Mm -hmm. You know, just growing up where I grew up um, in the hood, uh, just to see someone was interested in me joining their team that's away from Chicago. You know, um, I never really had a plan on moving away from Chicago. But when I started seeing those type of things, it definitely motivated me. Um, I got a lot of Wake Forest College, you know, a lot of different offers um, my sophomore year. And um, I only got better in my junior year. And then I transferred my senior year to uh, Waubonsie Valley suburbs my father ended up moving mm-hmm. from the hood um and he went to aurora illinois the suburbs and um it was a hard transition but for the most part they had more resources mm-hmm. um and when i went out there i had a different coach um who's more i would say um more structured in a sense um definitely way more plays than what i was playing with when i was in the city you know in the city it's like at home, we're gonna come back at you type right, thing right. uh it was more structure and once i started playing that i had a hard time adjusting at first you know just coming from that style of play in chicago um but eventually i got my hands on it and once i realized um, how effective i could be i still received offers out there my senior year um and yeah that's what that's what really sparked it man my sophomore year when i really started getting just small offers man it, it motivated me
1: so you 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 mentioned moving from chicago to aurora and you said it was kind of an adjustment i mean we For those who are not from Chicago, Mm. what we viewed or know of Chicago has been obviously the violence. Mm. Like obviously over the last maybe 10, 15 years. It could be going back further than that. But you talk about that adjustment. Was that something that you looked forward to as an opportunity? Like, man, my father was able to move out to the suburbs. I'm looking forward to a different opportunity. Or was it more of a struggle that you didn't want to leave from yeah. where you was already before it, you. Were.
0: It was definitely not. it was definitely a struggle, man. Uh, to be honest, uh strong word, but I hated it. Mm-hmm. Uh definitely hated it. Um only because it was my senior year, right? Mm-hmm. So like that's like my, my last year. The last year I'm gonna spend with my friends, mm-hmm. you know, all the relationships I have built, my teammates, like my last um junior and senior year, going into my senior year, we all been playing together since freshman year. Wow. You know, so that and then we uh we end up becoming championship in our division, you know, championship of the of our division. So we really started gelling our junior year, and I'm like, you pick all the times to move, and you choose to move now. So, and then it was just, you know, going into, you know, I never lived in the suburbs. So I didn't know what to expect. Right. Um, I also knew, you know, just from what I see, you know, it was definitely slower, it's more organized. Nothing wrong with it organized, but I just think it wasn't the style for me, just growing up in the city. Um, it's definitely more fast-paced. Um, suburbs, you gotta ride a bus, you know, in the <laughs> city. You don't have to ride a bus. You can walk to school type thing. So, uh, it it was different, man, uh, but when I got out there, I will say um it was hard to adjust um it was some good. I met some great friends, long life tone friends um that I'm still cool with to this day, and um it was worth it I will say it was it was definitely I'll let my father provide for me and my older brother um it was definitely worth it, um staying out of trouble to mm-hmm. um just a better education, um even enhancing my basketball skills, you know, um uh, just everything all around, man, you don't really see that as a stubborn kid from Chicago until you actually get out there. You know, Um, like I said, most kids in Chicago, they don't have that dream of just moving out. You know, we love the city too much, not because of the violence, but I tell most people, if you're not from Chicago, you don't really have a reason to be in trouble or around that type of thing, because mm-hmm. uh, the most part, you're trying to go do tourist stuff. You know, right. Go downtown or something like that, but um,
1: yeah. So hindsight is twenty twenty. so even if you had the opportunity to do... The same thing, like you said, junior year, moving over. Would you still do this? Would you still do it, or would you think that you you, knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. would you still uh, go the same route, or would you just stay and try to finish it out with? I don't know. You don't know, That's a good question. I'll,
0: only because I think like both spectrums they add, they give you different things. Like mm-hmm. Chicago, um, born and raised, you gain heart. Like regardless of how talented you get, you just gain heart, man. I mean, you don't not just going to back down to anybody. And it's not just basketball. It's just anything in life. I mean, yeah. how you carry yourself, you know, you're a tale of somebody from Chicago. I mean, you're just not going to let somebody walk over you. Um, suburbs, definitely more organized. I love that portion about it, you mm-hmm. know, just how you well manage yourself, being more responsible type thing, uh, being up. Like, we had three days, you know, in high school. So wow. Yeah, so, I mean, I had them in um, college, but it was more so shoot around in the mornings. You know, no, it was real deal practice. Days when I moved to the suburbs, and um, that type of thing really make you more responsible. So, mm-hmm. I will say it's, it's kind of a tricky question, you know. But like I said, Chicago is
1: you just don't give up, you figure it out. It sounds like you you definitely appreciate both sides. Of. Yeah, I got the best of both worlds, man. I tell everybody that. So, let's talk about where did that lead you to, um, after that. So, you played your senior year, mm-hmm. and what, where did you go from there?
0: I went back home. What about Chicago? Uh, I played for University of Illinois at Chicago, mm. uh, UIC Flames. Um, it was crazy because uh, my mom stayed on the campus of UIC, so um, literally I could walk to her house, you know, and everything. So uh, wow. yeah, it was pretty cool. But I played for UIC Flames my freshman year. They got me a partial scholarship, um, and it was pretty cool.
1: So did the opportunity to stay in Chicago was that kind of the allure of kind of staying there, or was it maybe uh, the only opportunity?
0: Um, no, I could have left. Okay. I, I could have left. I think it was more so, you know, um like Derek Rose when he left, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, when he first got into the league. Just being able to play, you know, in front of people that, you know, truly inspired you or just people that supported you along the way throughout your basketball career. I think that was big. um At the UIC, it's not a small school, you know? It's a big school in UIC. I mean, in um, Chicago. It's one of the biggest, you know, outside of um the Blue Devils, you know? um So definitely worth it. Um... But I think it was motivated and my decision was motivated from the fact, oh, my mom can actually come mm-hmm. to my game still. Uh, my father never really came to one of my games only because, you know, he worked. Mm-hmm. You know, he worked um, probably 16-hour days, you know, working for UPS. So yeah. the fact, you know, me being on a college level in my city would probably motivated him more, okay, I have a better time schedule, or whatever it can be, or I need to make this happen to go see him play college ball. At least. So that
1: was, that's what motivated my decision. Gotcha. So you you end up staying there for just one year? Yeah, one okay. year. Okay, so talk about the transition from you and I. Uh, University of Chicago. Yeah, Illinois at Chicago. Talk about your transition down to Talladega.
0: Yeah. So, um, my coach ended up leaving, and um, that same year, man, uh, the one that recruited me, he ended up leaving, and um, I didn't really know how it was gonna go with a new coach. So I was in a summer camp, and um, just working out and things like that. And I actually got recruited to Talladega. And it was in Alabama. Um. Didn't know much about it, never heard of it. Um, culture's cool. Um, but yeah, it was it was a crazy transition because, you know, like I said, most kids from Chicago, we don't really think about leaving, you know, until like something happens. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yo, I must get out type thing. Um, and at that time I think um the coach my coach was leaving, like I said, um, and then I was just going through some things, you know, um, personal things in my life. And it's like, yo, I gotta I need to take a step away from Chicago. Um, so, yeah, I just ended up leaving.
1: So, you go from big big city Chicago to Alabama. Yeah, Talladega,
0: man. It's country. It's <laughs> straight up country, man. Uh, it's definitely, um, it's what you see in most movies if you've never been. Uh, definitely a slow paced city, very slow paced. Um, but I was in a small town called Talladega. Um, and it, it was different. It was so small, man. The biggest thing we had was a Walmart. Um, everybody in the town knew each other no exaggeration mm-hmm. um it's one street one main street called Battle Street that's where everything is at it's about three four miles long that's it and um uh, yeah it was pretty the closest place we was near was Oxford
1: Alabama um, Jacksonville State University mm-hmm. so d- did you struggle at all of just saying you know is this is this, did I make the right decision um in terms of you know leaving from where I was to come down here did you contemplate, was that the right decision for you?
0: Yeah, I think uh, it was reverse psychology. So, uh, like, back in my high school years when I was leaving Chicago, going to the suburbs, I felt like I just left the suburbs going back. Yeah, cause it was <laughs> it was just different because, you know, um, Telediga, it was that slow. Like, it was just so slow, and it was like at UIC I had so many resources, man. I mean, I lived on campus. Walk well, out, okay, go see my mom, get a good plate. Um, just everything, any resource, a student athlete could ever need a USC, you had it. Um, they had their own uh, hospital, you mm. know. So it it was different, you know. Then I went to tell a digger where it's, they don't have their own hospital. They eat the same thing, you know. Um, it's just slower. Everybody know each other. and uh, It was definitely a different transition, but
1: my first few months, I was regretting my decision. Seriously. So what turned it around for you? Was it getting actually getting on the court and actually starting to play with guys? Yeah, what? yeah,
0: I would say basketball. Um, the intensity level was still the same. Definitely still the same. Um, he had a great coach, um, great players, great teammates. Um, it was definitely still the same. And um, I mean it was still Division One. Yeah. So uh, it it, it 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 was great, man. Um, but then I as I started to gel more with Talladega. I felt like that's what I needed, you know, a more slower-paced city, you know, to keep me out of trouble, get my mind, because that's the reason I left, right? Like, the, the reason I left was to get my mind off a lot of things in my personal life. Mm-hmm. And even though I was complaining, I'm like, no, this probably what I need. Um, so I had to dumb down and buckle down and just realize, hey, I know it's not much to do, but at least I can stay focused on something, which was basketball at the time, and finish and
1: get my degree. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times it's a benefit to to guys coming from certain environments, I think that you know, but it's it's perspective because if if I'm not seeing the opportunity yeah. in terms yeah. of this could be you know a great way for me to maybe adjust and to see something different, yeah. you know, I could you know talk my way up out of it and end up leaving. But you know, you were able to kind of ultimately see the yeah. see the silver lining and yeah. and able to uh, adjust because I mean, similar my similar similar situation coming from Miami going to Daytona. Daytona may be mm-hmm. Daytona, uh, maybe two or three times bigger than Talladega, but still Miami to, you know, but I yeah. think coming from an environment that was so fast paced and so chaotic at times, I I really fell in love with the city. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, yeah. you know, I would enjoy just the quiet yeah. Yeah. from time to time. So it was just, you know, I think I adjusted well and, and appreciated it and still would go, you know, obviously go back home and enjoy mm-hmm. it from time yeah. to time. Right. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, I think it was what I needed. Um, but let's talk about maybe the basketball success you had mm-hmm. while there. Kind of, you know, talk about that.
0: Yeah, um, when I first, I was a sophomore when I got there, um, and I was walking into a winning situation. Mm. Uh, yeah, so um, they always had a great record, um, uh It's the NAIA you know, mm-hmm. Division I uh, Gulf Coast Conference. But, um, yeah, I got three rings there, man. Um, one, three. We had a three-peat um great players once again man it was tough battles um we actually went to the final four um the smallest hbcu to ever ever go wow um and then as i as i started playing you know and learning that type of history you know amongst the school like teledee was built off three slaves Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know that um it was actually an elementary school before it was a college um three slaves actually did in um it was just to build something for African-American kids to get an education at the time. Um, and as you grew that actual um, knowledge, I think I started to love it more, mm-hmm. you know, just recognizing, oh, you know, my ancestors actually did create this. And, it, and it's a true story. You know, Savory Library, that was actually the first building um, that our three slaves actually created and built wow. at the time. So um, that building is still up. It's a historic place. Um and once you, like I said, once you understand that and you really sit down and really think about, like, man, the way we came. And you don't really learn that type of things being in the Midwest, mm. you know. It's crazy because most people learn these things from the South, you know. Um, So me just understanding, you know, it's more opportunity, I think, um, to double back on a conversation earlier. When you move around just a little bit, you start to look at life in different perspectives, you know. Had I never moved down to the South, I'd have never knew any of it. I never knew how big You know Our African American culture is Only because I lived in Chicago It's not really taught You know Mm -hmm. Um, In Chicago Our history books Wasn't even African American You know That's just being honest You know um, We was taught Just like inventions That's pretty much it But it wasn't never You know Our history of our culture Type thing And I think When you move to the south You get those type of things You know So once I started Looking at it From that type of perspective
1: You know Me growing up maturing a little bit more um, I started to love it Um, Yeah I have this conversation with many of my guys because, I mean, even in, you know, you, you have, you, you know, you obviously we have Black History Month, right? Yeah, and, yeah. you you know, growing up as kids and even in Miami, you know, they'll, you know, put up different leaders and things mm-hmm. like that. But I hadn't had much experience with HBCUs yeah. because I was actually the first of my immediate family mm-hmm. to go to college. Yeah. So I didn't have much knowledge of HBCU yeah. until I walked on campus. Yeah. but. That same thing, that impact, once you become a part of the environment, man, it's like, it's, 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 it's mind-blowing. That's why you have so many HBCU that just have so much pride because yeah. it's a different environment. You know, you you go to class and your professor actually know your name and know who you are and, you know, you build a relationship with mm-hmm. them and when you come back to campus, campus, you know, you have conversations and you can hang out and stuff like that, but it's more of a family environment. So I have this conversation with guys about would there ever be a time that we can restore the prominence of HBCUs when it, when you're talking about recruiting athletes yeah. right because again you know you talk about all the the obstacles or the the challenges that it is when you're talking about being recruited by yeah. duke north carolina yeah. kansas yeah. all these schools that have all these these mm-hmm. shiny toys to present to you mm-hmm. but HBCU and again, when we're talking about the the love and the, lifelong relationships and the experiences, I think that it will have to start with parents of, of these recruits that yeah. understand it. Right. Cause I, I envision myself having a conversation with my son of him growing up, going to homecoming yeah. with me every yeah. year with my wife every yeah. year yeah. to understand that rich history. So then once, he, if he becomes this big recruit, you know, I think that being able to change the narrative of, mm-hmm. Guys being able to go to HBCU and bring that prominence back because when you talk, even when we talk about basketball, a guy can play one year and go to the pro. Yeah. So now you got this pressure because guys are going to play overseas for one year, which I totally support. Like, yeah. you know, why am I going to play college? They're not giving me anything, but I can go make a million dollars and then still get drafted. Yeah. So that idea of saying, if a guy, uh, you know, Zion would have said, I'm going to South Carolina State for yeah. one year, yeah. it don't matter where he went. No, don't. What's up, Hype family? Thanks again for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. But if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenerships, so you don't even have to have a big audience. Is everything you need to make a podcast in one place? Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. It, it would have been. It would have been a bit. And I,
0: and it's crazy because they just passed. You know, um, college athletes actually getting paid mm. um, in most places. So I think that's big because I was having a conversation, a mutual conversation with a friend on. Uh, I think it was Facebook or something like that. Like the topic head came up and. Um, they were saying, you know, um, they wouldn't have got that recognition. And you just said it. They would have. Um, I just think it's a little different. So most of these big um, programs, they get paid based on the performance, Mm -hmm. you know. So despite wherever, you know, um, I went to a small HBCU. Our school got paid because we won. Mm -hmm. You know, that's all that really matters, you know. And uh, something I mentioned to the guy was um, if if the player, excuse me, is talented, it really won't matter. They'll be, be found, right? You know, um, it's a lot of players in the NBA that have been found, you mm-hmm. know, from even just overseas, you know. some Jeremy Lin was mm-hmm. one of them, you know. Nobody really knew Jeremy Lin before he got to You know, So it's like, but he was found, you know. And I just think, as you said earlier, bringing that back to, you know, HBCUs is something big because even when I, like I said, I get the best of both worlds, you know. I went to a PWI. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different. You know, homecoming is different. It's definitely different, you know, and you don't realize how much you appreciate those type of things until you get the best of both. You know, um, not saying all PWIs, homecoming is, <clears throat> excuse me, um, not good. You know, there's some great homecomings, but I just think it's more of a bonding type thing, you know, once you go to a an HBC, HBCU, excuse me, homecoming, and then from the sports, you know, they incorporate, oh, we have a football game. During homecoming, we have a basketball game during homecoming, you know. So those type of things and those elements, you know, amongst our culture and just college play at all, um, is huge for mm-hmm. our culture. It's big. Uh, and I think it's overlooked for the most part. And I think, you know, uh, people, they, they gravitate towards the resources. You know, Duke, they got the resources, you know. Um, not saying HBCU don't. You know, there's plenty of them. Tuskegee, you know. Uh, plenty of HBCUs, you know. Um, power Mm -hmm. to have the resources you need but i just think it's been a platform for so long where oh we need to go play for them because they're on a bigger stage you know and i think um once we as a as a culture start really gravitating towards our own and really understanding why i'm coming to play for hbcu despite of the many offers high-end offers i have i think we will start to make a change you'll see a big change with with most african-american males
1: athletes whether it's football basketball in the decision-making. I think because it's, it's been uh, instilled in us as kids, like, you want to go to the highest level for an opportunity to yeah. go to the next level. Yeah. But again, when you talk about just for, for the sake of saying it, top 10 recruiting recruits out of a, for basketball, say t- you know, five, six of the guys yeah. decide to say, hey, we're going to go play at Howard, yeah. right? You know, you're saying the level of competition, it don't matter. Nah. It, you're talking about, you know, again, one year, but at the same time, even Zion... Yeah after playing one year at Duke, he still have to have an adjustment. It's a development process to, mm-hmm. get to to be able to get to the standard of NBA. So that's 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 not the deal, but I, I'm hoping to see one day where guys are saying, you know, my AAU team, we played together. I, I, I like to bring up these guys, the LeBron James and D-Wade sons, right? Because it's not about the money for no, them. They don't have to, you know, Duke, you know, it's not, they don't have to make it to the NBA right. to, to be somebody, mm-hmm. right? So right. I, you know, my, my my idea, my dream would be, like, to see those guys decide to say, hey, all of my guys that I run with, let's all either go play for one HBCU or let's yeah. spread out amongst HBCUs. Because yeah. watch, the attention is still going to come. So yeah. guess what? The cameras are going to come. The money is going to come. Now all the resources, everything is rising.
0: Yeah. It's really it's really going to be simple. And I think as we're overlooking it and mm-hmm. we're overthinking it, mm-hmm. it's like you said, it's going to be very simple um, just because they already have that platform. You know, you got LeBron James' kid. You got D Wade kid, they have a platform already, you know, and they're not even, you know, they're barely on social media. You mm-hmm. know, they just post basketball stuff and get off, you know. Yeah. So, and I think, um, Ronnie just got a social media, player, just, you yeah. know, so mm-hmm. and the fact he already got like five million followers, you know, so I just think, I think we overthink it as a culture where we think, and and like you said earlier, it's been instilled in us already, you know. So, when you think about just the NBA greats, you know, Michael Jordan, they mm-hmm. went and, they didn't play for HBCU, you know, so people automatically think, in order for me to go over there, to be successful, um, I have to play for a certain team. And I just don't think that's true because if you have a platform or if a team, for example, Steph Curry, play for Davidson. Davidson not a big school. Nobody knew oh, of Davidson they, they don't before. They're not a big program. Uh-huh. You know, so it's like I, don't, I, I, don't, I truly don't believe you have to go to North Carolina. You have to go to Duke. And I love Duke, you know, but I don't believe you have to go just to be successful because one thing about the sport is if you know how to play – you know how to play, that's just what it's going to be. And it's going to show very fast. You know, if either, even on a competition, you know, of course they're going to make sure to enhance your competition. All right, well, he did this on this level. Let's see. That's why they have the G League. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the G, even if you make the G League, you know, I have a few friends that just made the G League and they've proven themselves. They went to small schools and then right now they're in the midst of proving themselves. And I think that's an opportunity. So don't really get caught up in, oh, I get this opportunity on a bigger platform. But no, I can still get the same opportunity. Yes, I may have to go through G League to do all overseas to actually get it. But you still bringing something back to what was originally originally, excuse
1: me, for us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's I think that's important. And I think the misconception is that going to those big schools automatically makes you, you know, that caliber player. I've had plenty of guys transfer from a big school and come play at an HBCU or play at an HBCU, and you know, they got ran off the field or ran off the court. You know. The, the the concept the misconception is that you know the talent is a ho- whole lot less it's yes. not that's not the case yeah. you may have a lot of undersized guys because you know again the bigger schools looking for size mm-hmm. but you got guys that can really play yeah. at that level
0: yeah
1: and, and I've get, seen it yeah you got um and and I tell people I tell my my fiance
0: all the time you know when you really look at any sport outside of you know golf or um uh, uh other Olympics you know I just think 90% is of us, you know, and, and and I think if that don't show you the control we have on what they make and how much they make and when they make it, I just think we're looking at a different picture, you mm-hmm. know, because my picture is very simple, you know, we have 90%. Of, uh, just imagine we take African-Americans away from NBA mm-hmm. or the NFL. It really will not be a sport, to be honest with you. Yeah, it'll be, be still going, you know, because the funds, and then you'll get other players, but I just think the excitement we get. Would be different. It definitely be different when we talk about these all time greats. Most of them are our culture. Yeah, and I think that's overlooked a lot. You know, a lot of a lot of these greats in whichever sport. You know, whether it's golf. You know, so most of them are of our culture, and I just think that's overlooked. That's a picture we need to really
1: focus and make more vivid. I think we just need to change the mindset. The mindset from being player to owner, and I think LeBron, those guys are kind of leading that charge of saying like, you know, I want, you know, I want to have complete ownership of what I'm doing, and 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 not just be, you know, a worker in yeah. a sense. So I think we're, we're heading that in di- that, that, that direction. For sure. So, um, but okay, you had a great great, great career at Talladega, three championships. Um, where did that ultimately lead you to? What opportunities did it present to you coming from Talladega and having that success?
0: Yeah,
1: uh, I went overseas. I played in uh, Canada. So um, yeah, I only played over the year, though. Um, what was that experience like? So now you are going from <laughs> okay, you go from Chicago yeah. to Alabama to Canada. Yeah, it was
0: it was different, and, and I think like that's the storyline of my life because I came from Chicago, right? Like project kid, you know, hood baby from from the city in the inner city, and it's like to be able to see these type of things only from one thing, a basketball. And mm. you know, I think that's just that. Like I think most athletes of our culture they overlook it and they get too caught up in it you know they don't really sit down and really think like yo I really just I really just did this you know and, and I am a and I am a first graduate in my family mm-hmm. you know my entire family you know mom's side and in that so it's like I really have those sit-downs like man I really just just did that and that's like that's something to be inspired about because I have cousins that really look, I have people that really look up to me you know and um for them to be contacting me about this and I have people text me "Yo, how did you do it what was your mindset and things like that I think that's big, you know. So going to Canada, um, from Teladig, it was definitely better, in a sense, <laughs> because Teledig was so small. But um, it was definitely different at the same time, you know. Just being able to understand, you know, um, they got different laws, mm-hmm. um, so being able to understand that um, was it wasn't tricky because I was never like really into trouble. But it's just it's definitely it's a different type of movement. For the most part, they're still in the U.S. though, so um, it wasn't that much of a difference, you know. The people were know, they're cool. It was definitely, um, weird at some
1: areas, but it was pretty cool. I want that back. So, after your time in Canada, you decided to, um, move to New Orleans, and was that the Um, next, the next step for you? Yeah, uh, so I I actually played in, um,
0: Charlottesville in Canada. Um, and I actually met my fiancé, um, when I was in college. I actually played against Xavier University, um, I got my master's from Xavier, so I actually met her um, through a mutual friend of ours, and um, yeah, she 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 provoked my decision. Mm-hmm.
1: I actually moved to New Orleans, and uh, I lived
0: in New Orleans two years. Yeah.
1: So, again, growing up, I'm sure the goal was basketball, maybe yeah. NBA. Yeah. How did you end up making the transition to say, okay, go back in my master's, and then I'm going to pursue another career? What was the what was the thought process and how did you end up at that making those that decision
0: uh it, my brother man i lost my brother so um when he passed uh it, it, it took a toll on just my entire family mm-hmm. um and like with me i'm like tell my fiance all the time i'm in jail like i'm in the jail of my entire family man um my father's side um I'm good with them my but mainly my mother's side which is my brother's side uh for the most part we had different fathers. So mm-hmm. um when it comes to my mother's side, I'm like the jail. You know, a lot of my family follow me on social media platforms. They see what I'm doing. They know I opened up, you know, my own stuff. And um they motivated. So when that happened and like took a jail, and I'm like, man, um, I'm all the way in Canada. So I'm all the way in New Orleans, and I'm like, all right, uh, well, I was in Canada at the time and I'm like, man, uh, I gotta figure something out. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's just it don't have to be back in Chicago, but I have to figure something out where I can be one closer to my family. And two, just be more um, connected to my family in Canada. It wasn't like that because um, we got have a phone conversation, but I was never going to say, you know. Yeah. Um, you have the season I can go home for the summer, but the summer I didn't want to go home for Chicago. You know, Chicago summers is pretty crazy just knowing where I grew up from. You know, um, like I tell people, if you go to Chicago for the summer um if you, if you're not from there, it's different. Right. You know, me being from there, you know, I can't go home from the summer. It's something bound to happen, you know, whether it's to me, somebody close to me. Uh, the people I used to hang with, uh, not the good dudes, you know, but someone was in trouble, you know. So I just knew it could be me And any time. And my brother, um, the way he passed, uh, he was never one in trouble. He was a basketball kid just like me. So um, the fact he got um, gunned down, you know, shot in the head, um, took a toll on me. And it just it just marked my decision, you know, I can't go back to Chicago, at least right now, not at this moment. Um, so I went to
1: New Orleans First of all, <clears throat> definitely my condolence and with that and coming from inner city as well I've, I i can't even tell you how many teammates uh, friends yeah. just guys that I've lost and again a lot of them wasn't bad guys but you know you're in an environment that you know is not the best yeah. and uh, you know unfortunately sometimes the guys who aren't the ones really causing the trouble you know yeah. seems to kind of Get the worst end of that. So, man, I definitely relate to what you're saying with that. So, you end up going—you you went, you, you went to get your master's. What, what did you get your master's in? Xavier University. What what um, subject? Oh, education leadership. Okay, so did you always, you know, have an idea that you possibly wanted to go into education?
0: No way. Not a thought, man. Not a thought, Joe. I'm so serious. Not not a thought. Never thought I'd be teaching kids or even want to deal with kids. I don't have kids, you know. Uh, not a thought, man. But I actually— um. Like I said, with the process of my life and how it was structured or how it became, I would say, um, I felt like it was my time to get back. Like, my brother, losing my brother, Mm -hmm. I had to – he loved kids, you know, and that was really the main reason why I really did it. I never thought about teaching kids. I got my bachelor's in business, Mm -hmm. so uh, I really didn't have that uh, mindset. But losing my brother, he loved kids, you know, just that simple. um, See a kid, give him a dollar, buy him ice cream type thing, joke with him, play with him, run with him, play tag, it, all that kind of things. And – yeah, that sparked my decision, and um, like I said, as me looking back at my family in general, uh, my family don't have as many resources, so my mindset was, hey, I'm going to create some for them, so if I can help in any way, at least they'll have an education. Then I thought about my future kids, you know, mm-hmm. them i going to have to grow up, regardless of where they grow up, whether Chicago, D.C., Houston, Florida, I don't care, where, regardless of where they grow up, at least I have that background knowledge um, on how the education to be in. The school systems are, they're not the—they're not the, what everybody thinks. Mm-hmm. It's definitely different. Um, it's definitely uh, something I, I encourage all parents to really dig into if you're not, you know, keeping track of those type of things because um, that's really what your kids are learning at mm-hmm. the base. And I don't think a lot of parents pay attention to those type of things. And me being in education, you know, for a few years, I understood that, you know, and I think that's, that's valuable information that I can pass down, not
1: just to my kids, but to my family. Mm-hmm. I think that's big. Do you think that also, you know, you, by you making a decision to go into education, you you said that the strong connection that it had to your your brother, did you also feel like that was just kind of filling the void, you know, of the the connection that you had with him?
0: That's definitely what it was. It was filling his void. Um, And I don't think he had plans on being a teacher, but like I said, it had to be something with kids. I didn't want to be, you know, a PE teacher. You know, uh, cause me personally, I probably just teaching basketball. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't <laughs> want to do nothing. So, I was doing something valuable. You know, um, my subject that I was teaching was ELA, you know, English Language Arts, and that was big because when I'm from, uh, like I said, um, we don't have real good English teachers. So, you know, um, it's really um, actually Chicago right now, uh, they just came off a strike. The teachers, that's you right. Know, the kids is out of school for like almost a month. Wow. You know, and it's that serious. And you know, I think, like I said, I, I encourage all parents to really dive into those type of things because you dropping your kids off and you leave leaving with a stranger. You don't know what that stranger is teaching. That stranger got problems too. You right. know? So <laughs> right. you really need to understand that, you know, and quiz your kids, you know, when they come on I to be it's not serious. Make it fun, you know, but I was definitely filling the void um, for my brother. I just knew it couldn't just be anything. It had to be something valuable, mm-hmm. you know, because every moment he spent with kids, it was valuable. You know, it was cherishable and um, I, I decided to do um ELA and I actually grew a love for him. I love teaching. Uh, but, once again, I come to realization that this not for me. I did what I had to do. Um, I taught one year in New Orleans, I taught another year in Houston, and um, as a first time teacher in both areas, my kids had some of the highest scores. Um, I had like an eighty percent passing level mm. with the kids. Um, I taught um, <clears throat> excuse me Nigerians, um, Hispanics. And just knowing I was able to get through them on that type of level, and African American males, young men, and girls, and um, I just think being able to get through them on a level in an education realm, or as far as a reading realm, I think that's big because education, especially reading, um, they teach you the basic things, but they don't
1: really teach you how to dissect things. Mm-hmm. I, I applaud you, first of all, in terms of teaching. My wife is a teacher, and yeah. she's been teaching maybe twelve years now. Um, she loves and it, and I've I've seen like I mean this. Man, they, they don't pay y'all enough. Nah. um, I think that, you know, because you're talking about somebody who's spending more time with your kids than you are, yeah, right? As well am my parents. My, my kids realistic. spend more time with your teachers, right? Nah. So, you know, the value that that should have and hold in a society is not at that level and it should be much more. So I definitely applaud you for taking that. But let's talk about you had... <laughs> A second interest or another interest, uh-huh. um, and ultimately have led you to where you are now. So let's talk about how did that interest start, and then making a decision to kind of go all in on that. Yeah. Um. So
0: um. I'm a tailor now. So I actually learned that um in Canada mm-hmm. uh, when I was over there. I knew if we, we had to dress up for some games, and uh, I had my first custom suit over there. I was a kid. My father's a minister. Okay. And uh, I was, grew up in a church my entire life. Um, I really wasn't the um, dress up type guy. You know, I was the jeans joggers i play basketball so like joggers flip-flops type thing but i come with those things to uh, church so for the most part for church i probably wore like um cheap button up, some jeans and some shoes my dad bought me uh but i really like the uh suit guy i wasn't that kid so um yeah i came my first one over there and uh it felt good you know it just felt different like i said i think how my my life has transitioned i think i was like yeah different path now like a whole nother wave and um it grew on me so uh, i learned i picked a few brains over there in canada as far as tailoring and um i actually came when i came back to the states i took two classes i took one in north carolina and one in south carolina's uh sartorial class excuse me and um they basically teach you how to craft the garment um it's like a three-day workshop about seven grand invested in both uh so a total of about 14 almost 15 grand but uh it was worth it um i learned it and um just like we mentioned earlier with education, um, you with those kids, you with those students, you know, all day, literally. Um, when I was here in Kip, uh Kip Academy West, right off highway six, um, we had to be there by six thirty every morning. Um, the kids didn't get out until three thirty every day. But we had to stay and do buses, the same teachers, you know, uh content teachers, head teachers. Uh and I was a lead teacher and we had to be there. So we didn't ultimately leave campus until around, like, 4 or 4.30. About 4.15, 4.30. And, um, yeah, keep in mind, you know, Houston traffic is bad. So mm-hmm. we was going right into traffic right after a long day from being there at 6.30, reporting at 6.30. Literally having—so we taught only four classes. I taught only four classes. Um, but still, after those four classes, I had to be with my students for PLT time, which is basically— um, um, off period for them to actually just, um, enhance certain skills. So instead of, them, I was an ELA teacher, instead of you focusing on reading in my class, hey, you need to focus on do this program right here, or something like that. So, um, I had to be with them doing that. Um, at the end, I think we had to give them lunch, or, well, um, what was it, a snack? I had to be with them with that. So it was like, I was really, I only probably had, like, any teacher at Kip Academy was, we only had, like, two hours away from the kids. And um, I just think that's a lot, you know. So being there that long, so we're going into rush hour traffic. Um, I showed dogs, so I had, you know, American Bullies at home. Um, Got to go home, get out of the traffic for once. So I'm probably not making it home till like 6 o'clock. Um, go straight to the dogs. You make them, let them out to use it. Make sure they eat. By then, you know, I would like to take care of my body. I want to work out, so find myself going to the gym for about an hour and a half, two hours. So now I'm really starting to relax at like eight at night, but I have lesson plans and things like that, that I have to prepare for the next day to teach another day. And I think, you know, over that over this last year, it drew a toll on me, you know, and I really started realizing like, all right, I feel the void for my brother, but do I really see myself doing this for a long period of time? So I already told myself when I first started teaching, um, I don't plan to be here long. Now when that was, I don't know. I don't know if it was gonna be three years, four years. And that's really not a long time to be teaching. Right. Uh, teaching long term is me, about seven years plus. Mm-hmm. You know, that's considered a master teacher. Right. You know, in a sense, um, if you pass the courses and stuff like that as far as um agendas. But um yeah, I really didn't have that so the second year, um, I was actually so when I was in New Orleans I was already tailoring, making suits. Um, I didn't promote it as much though. Um I was still trying to see the branded aspect and things like that. But I ended up doing some um, some garments for a lot of good people, for Zulu ball, um, weddings, and things like that. So over the years, it just picked up more and more. And it's just crazy because my last year teaching, teaching, uh, this last year was the year really picked up its most. So I found myself uh, bringing in more money than I was getting paid to teaching. So I said, you know what,
1: uh it's probably going to be my last year. And how has that been? Um, making that decision, you know, how has it been for you in terms of uh, success, and then at the same time in terms of your uh, overall happiness?
0: Um, best decision in my life. Mm. Best, best decision I ever made. Um, I know I made a lot of tough decisions, but that was probably the best decision I made. Um, I tell most people the biggest thing as a business owner right now. Um, I have leverage. Um, mm. uh, do what I want. Um, uh, I'm not lazy by far. I don't care. Uh, if I own a building, I still wake up every morning at 8 and go to work, mm-hmm. you know. So um, that's the biggest thing. And I think it's more so the fact you have a certain type of responsibility and stigma about yourself. Like, you know, you really, like I said, it, I, I'll never forget I came from Chicago. And to see the kid, once again, just figuring it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been several places. I've been, you know, I show dogs, you know, on the side as a side hustle as well. So them dogs took me to every state in the U.S. You know, so just being able to see all of that and like, hey, I'm just a kid from Chicago, you know, being able to see that. And that's just, it's just big, man. So me actually opening up, you know, my own showroom here in Houston, Texas. Um, it's been, it's been, it's been a learning experience. It's been, um, it's definitely been something that I would say challenged me to become a better person, a more responsible person, um, and a more legitimate person um, because you have to do good business at all times. And, you know, it separates a lot of people. You know, a lot of people don't know. So when you have one job, and then you have the job you want to do the rest of your life. As far as entrepreneurship, sometimes you get lots of days because you could depend on that steady job. Mm-hmm. You know, with entrepreneurship, it's not always steady, you know, but you have to be disciplined. You have to understand, this is what I'm in for. This is what I'm trying to do, and I got to figure it out. And sometimes it takes a while. You know, you don't figure it out the right then and there. You might take two months to figure it out, but
1: if you're really in it, you have to figure it out. You mentioned a couple times, I, I agree with you by the way, um, um, it's not easy, right? Everybody everybody see the success of an entrepreneur and just say, you know, oh, I want to beat that. Yeah. But there was a lot of dark nights and yeah. lonely moments of trying to figure stuff out. But I think ultimately the commitment, the consistency, yeah. the dedication is what is going to sustain you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm in that phase now where... I'm, I'm starting to understand it. And it's just, again, I see the bigger picture because it's mm-hmm. long-term, man, just the ability and the uh, the leverage you have, yeah. right, will be so valuable to, you know, your family, your kids that's coming after you and just, yeah. you know, whether, you know, success it is, what it is, I think success is, is all relative, but I think success is taking a, a thought and, um, r- making it, that thought a reality. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, that's just honoring yourself. um, and respect and, you know, I got to give it up to you for that. Um but I, you mentioned it just shortly here about um about dogs. So yeah. Tell me a little bit about that and kinda how you got into showing dogs.
0: Um, I've been to dogs about three years now. Uh so American bullies. So, um it's it's an official breed, um, primarily from the um Terrier and Bulldogish in yeah. a sense. Um but um, it's a great breed, uh, love of a lovable breed, very, very, very great with kids. Um, the temperament of the dog is actually one of the best I've seen. Um, not aggressive, very loving animal. Um, and I had my first American Bully. He's actually um, the top dog right now. Um, I received his award this Saturday. Mm. And um, like I said, at first I was going into it um, just because I love the dog. But then also, there was a reward behind outside of a trophy and rewards every weekend you know traveling and stuff but you know I got money wow so yeah so um just to like breed um or use my stud that's what they call it, the male dogs a stud um just to breed to him I was charging like uh 2500 wow yeah so it's definitely beneficial if you do it the right way if you mark the dog the right way if you breed the dog the right way you can make so I think a puppy or, uh the average price for a quality American bullies about 25 to three thousand So, um, if you have a female, and she dropped, you know, seven, seven puppies. Very lucrative. So, yeah, you could definitely, um, it's definitely beneficial. And that's an aspect that I, that is a part of my life right now. Um, I have three dogs right now. And, um, well, two, sorry. Uh, I had three. One of them just got put down. Um, not because he was aggressive Mm -hmm. or anything like that, but, um, he was going through some things that, uh, I had to really make a decision on to whether, whether it was going to be beneficial for him or just beneficial for me. Right. right?
1: I'm a legitimate dude, so it was a bit of a down. Sorry to hear that. I know that had to be tough, yeah. man. Um, but that's another episode for us to kind of yeah. dive into <laughs> dogs, and we can talk about that. Um, but um, let we'll wrap wrap up, man. I appreciate you coming and talk yeah, talking with me, man. Let's let everybody know where they can find you at if they're interested in kind of what you're doing, your apparel, different things like that. Yeah. Kind of um, let them know where they can find you.
0: Yeah, so um, I'm, my show, my showroom is actually on 1334 Britmore Road, Houston, Texas. It's right off the Beltway and Wilcrest. Um I've been doing this tailoring um tutorial. I've been a tutorial for four years now. Um I started back in two thousand fifteen. Um like I said, I started taking it really serious in two thousand sixteen. Um my business picked up pretty, pretty fast. Um I was able to quit my job June 5th. Um and I love what I do. I'm there every day around at nine nine a.m. Mm-hmm. all the way to about three, three PM. Um and then I go home and do some more work. But um yeah. Social so, yeah. media. Yeah, social media um is J Bows, J B as a boy. I-L-E-S-A-R-T-O-R-I-A-L. Um, my personal Instagram is actually J Bowes, J B as in boy, I L E S underscore. And um, I do a lot of different things as far as styling and fashion and things like that. I work with a lot of different brands too. So uh, yeah, check me out and I look forward to working with anyone that's
1: available. Awesome. Definitely check him out, man. He has a it's a it's a pleasure to to follow his pages, man. He got some great insights, some great fashion style, some some great fashion pieces and looks man so um Cheers. definitely check it out man but uh again man i appreciate your time thank you for joining me on the podcast man and we wish you nothing but success moving forward yes, and uh yeah thanks again thanks for having me thanks for listening to another episode of what's the hype podcast remember to like subscribe and comment follow us on all platforms at what's the hype
0: podcast Pay the price, want a slice. Got the roll of dice, this why All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Got married to this guy.
1: Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends.